Well, hello, friends. Welcome to the Capital City Christian Church Podcast. My name is Chris, and I'm going to be your host today. If this is your first time listening, I would love to chat with you, so send me an email at hello at capitalcitychristian.org. Last week, we started a new series about one of the classic Bible stories. The story of Jonah is about somebody who runs away from God and all that God has in store for him. A story about somebody who doesn't see others the same way that God sees them. Jonah is a story about a person like me. Today we're looking at the first three verses of this short book in the Bible as Jonah begins to run away from God. Let's get started with our senior minister, Dr. Stephen Doc Pattison. Father, we've just been reminded of the incredible gift of grace in Christ, and for that we give you thanks. And we recognize that the very invitation to be here this morning is just your grace. What makes it stunning is that we know that you're here and you will nudge, you will convict, you will encourage, and I pray that we will be responsive as your people. And now we pray that the words of our mouths and the thoughts of our hearts will please you. In the name of Christ we pray, amen. Don't forget guys that in the back of the room and there's a prayer room back there and one of our elders is back in that room praying for you guys. And uh, if at any time during the service you feel like you need someone to pray with you or pray for you, just make your way back to that room there and they'll be glad to do that with you. So, have you ever run away? I don't remember ever running away when I was a kid, but I remember my, my daughter, Alethea, running away. I think she was four or five, I don't remember exactly. She got mad at something or didn't get her way with something, so she packed her stuff in a wagon and headed up the road. She tells me now she was heading to Hildy's house because Hildy had a basement full of toys. I don't know whether that's true or not. Anyway, Julia and I are not very good parents, so we let her go. Of course, we were watching her from a distance, spying on her. She got up to the top of the hill, not too far from Hildy's house. She stopped and she looked around. And then I guess she figured she had punished us enough because she turned around and went back to the house. Alethea was really, really, really good at getting mad. She wasn't very good at running away, thank God. So, have you ever run away? Maybe not from home. You ever want to run away from a tough relationship or from a responsibility that just seemed like it was overwhelming or for some chore or from some job that was just too hard, too tedious, too mundane? I suspect you have. I know all of us are practiced at running away, and I know all of us are practiced and skilled at running away from God. That's called sin. So, can you... Think of a reason why you run away from God, which we all do. And we've got reasons. Here's just a couple of them. Sometimes we run away from God because we just don't like what he says, right? We don't agree with God. He says stuff like, don't have sex before marriage, don't have sex outside of marriage. Well, how archaic and prudish is that? I mean, wouldn't a God, if he was good, want you to follow your heart? Wouldn't a good God want you to be happy? Or he says stuff like, don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal. And you're thinking, oh, come on, God. Even a little white lie that doesn't hurt someone. And doesn't everybody have to put a little spin on things sometimes? Or he insists on things like, keep going to church, love your neighbor, respect those in authority over you. And you keep going to church, but 
Church just seems like the same old sometimes, and apparently God never met your neighbors, and the people in authority over you haven't earned your respect. So have you ever run away from God? I have. Sometimes we run away from God because he fails us, we think. He disappoints us, we think. You have a miscarriage, perhaps. You're furious at God. Come on, God, you were supposed to be there for me. And then you push God away, which is one form that we run away from God. Doctor gives you the test results. And you're thinking to yourself, why, God? What did I do to deserve something like this? And at least for a time, you push them away. You're called into the boss's office. You get a rejection letter. Or you get a phone call in the middle of the night, and you're thinking, God, you're doing it wrong. And you freeze them out, which is a way of running away. And we're going to talk about running away from God this morning, something we're all quite experienced at and something that is always, it is inevitably stupid, Right? And we're going to dig into it by looking at the story of Jonah, because that's how the story of Jonah opens. Here's how Jonah opens. It says this, The Lord gave his message to Jonah, the son of Amittai. God says, Get up, go to the great city of Nineveh, announce my judgment against Nineveh, because I've seen how wicked its people are. But, instead of going that way, Jonah got up and he went the opposite direction, to run away from God. He went to a port called Joppa, found a ship leaving for a place called Tarshish, went on board hoping to run away from God by sailing to Tarshish, right? That's how it opens up. So this message from God comes to this guy named Jonah, which name means nothing to us outside of this story that we know, but apparently it meant quite a bit to the people back then. Because if you go over to 1 Kings, another book in the Old Testament, we discover that this Jonah is pretty high up in the government, which is a little unusual for a prophet. He's a trusted advisor to the king, a king called Jeroboam II. And this Jeroboam II was making Israel great again. He really was. So Jonah was one of those guys who was helping him make Israel great again. In fact, I figure he went around wearing one of those hats, right? God says to this Jonah, this patriotic partisan nationalist, I want you to get up and I want you to go to the great city of Nineveh and I want you to preach there. In other words, Jonah, I want you to get up and go preach to the people you fear the most. I want you to preach to the people you hate the most. I want you to tell them about me, about God. And that's over the top. It's insane. I'll show you why in just a minute. But what God is telling Jonah to do is mind-blowing at several levels. Number one is this. God is telling this Jewish prophet to go preach to a Gentile city, which was extremely unusual. Sometimes the prophets preached about the Gentiles, but they preached about them from inside Israel. God says, don't preach about them here. Go there and preach to them face to face. It's worse than that. God says, I want you to go announce my judgment against them because I've had enough of their evil. But here's what Jonah knew. Here's what Jonah feared, which sometimes we miss. By sending Jonah to preach to Nineveh and preach God's judgment, what God is actually doing is giving them a chance 
to turn around and repent. That's exactly what Jonah feared. We're going to find that out later in the book. Jonah didn't want that to happen. Because Jonah was afraid that if they actually did change their ways, that God might change his mind about killing them. They didn't deserve grace. Grace is great when God gives us to people that we want grace. Grace is terrible when God gives it to people we despise. God didn't want God to change his mind and save these Ninevites. He wanted them in hell. Because, number three, these guys were bad. They were flat-out evil. Think terrorists on steroids. Think ISIS or Al-Qaeda, but this time they're not hiding in the shadows somewhere. They're a superpower. And there is no army strong enough to stop them. If you were here last week, you might remember some of the pictures that I showed. You're pretty gruesome. I got them out of an article from the Biblical Archaeology Review, which is titled, Grizzly Assyrian, which is Nineveh, Grizzly Assyrian Record of Torture and Death. It's about the Ninevites, the Assyrians who lived there. And the lady who wrote this article opens with these two lines. She says, Assyrian national history, and it's been preserved for us in pictures and inscriptions. It consists almost entirely of military campaigns and battles, and it has gory and blood-curdling a history as we know. These people were bad. Their, Their kings didn't brag about much other than just their cruelty in their annals. One guy said, he says, I skinned, I flayed as many nobles as had rebelled against me. I draped their skins over their pile of corpses. Some I spread out inside the pile. Some I erected on stakes on the pile. I skinned many right through my land and I draped their skins over the walls. He says, I carried their captives off. I carried their possessions off. I cut the heads off their fighters, and I built with their heads a tower before the city. And then I burnt their adolescent boys and girls. He says, I captured many of the troops alive. I cut off some of their arms and hands. I cut off others of their nose and ears and extremities. They're alive. I gouged out the eyes of many troops. I made one pile of the living and one pile of heads. And then I hung their heads on trees around the city. These guys were awful. They bragged about that stuff in their annals. They carved pictures of it on their stone panels. And we still have some of those pictures. Sometimes they would cut off their captive's legs and just one arm. So they could leave one arm that they could shake as a person was dying out of mockery. Sometimes they would force the victim's family and friends to parade around carrying the decapitated head of their loved one on a pole. God says to Jonah, go preach to these guys. Go preach to these guys. I don't want you to preach at them from Israel. I want you to go find where they are, and I want you to preach to them face to face, and I want you to pronounce my judgment upon them there because I want you to give them a chance to repent I know they probably won't listen to you, and I know they'll probably kill you, and I know they deserve hell, and I know the last thing in the world you want for them is grace. But get it done. So, instead of getting up and going to Nineveh, Jonah gets up and goes the other way. He runs from what God wants. 
Let me show you a map. I've got a map up there. You can see Joppa, which is in Israel, that big red dot. That's where Jonah is. And instead of going kind of to the northeast towards Nineveh, about 500 miles away, he jumps on a boat and tries to head towards Tarshish, which is 2,000 miles the other direction, which is about as far away from what God wanted as he could get in that world. By the way, this is a little sidebar. This is not part of the thread of this sermon, but... Did you know that whenever you decide, whenever you try to run away from God, you're going to find a boat ready to help you? You always will. There's always going to be something. There's always going to be some person that's going to help you run away from God. Because we live in a world that is at war with God. That is under the power of an enemy who is at war with God. So you will always find people who will encourage you and help you run away from God. It's the world we live in. Why does Jonah run? Or maybe it's better to ask this question, why do you run? When you run away from God, why do you run? I can think of quite a few reasons that we run away from God. Sometimes it's just plain old pride. We've got a lot of pride, don't we? You're not the boss of me, God. You can't tell me what to do. It's my life. I'll do it my way. Ever heard that or any of that in you perhaps? Sometimes we just think God is wrong. We just disagree with him. Maybe it worked back that way back then, God, a couple thousand years ago, but we're smarter now. We're more sophisticated now. We're more scientific, enlightened, open-minded, tolerant, and progressive now, right? So we just disagree with you, God, you old prude. Any of that in you? Ever crossed your mind? Sometimes we run away from God because we've been hurt by him. We think he has failed us. He didn't answer our prayer that we prayed so fervently. He didn't fix that problem we asked him to fix. He didn't prevent that disaster that we can't imagine came upon us. So we push him away, which is another way of saying we run away. Sometimes it's shame. That causes us to run away from God. Man, I've seen it a lot of times. I've had people tell me, if you knew how big I sinned, or if you knew how often I sinned, or if you know how often I have struggled with exactly the same sin, if you knew how often I would fail God, you'd understand why I don't go to church anymore. You'd understand why I have a hard time praying. You'd understand why God keeps getting more distant. By the way, when God gets distant, He's not moving. He's not moving. Or sometimes we just get tired. We get tired of following God, get tired of being good, get tired of trying to live a God-honoring life. So we quit, which is another way of running away. I've tried hard being faithful to my jerk of a spouse. It's too hard. I've tried loving on that friend. But how many times are you really supposed to forgive someone? Tired of trying to be good. Tired of coming to church, even though the church keeps disappointing me, even though Christians there keep failing me. Tired of trying. Ever felt that? Never about Capital City, I'm sure. Well, Jonah had a boatload of reasons for running away from God. Here's the first, it's the obvious, the biggest. He just flat out scared. Because doing life with God, for God, God's way, sometimes is flat out scary. 
And what Jonah was asking God to, uh, Jonah to do was scary on steroids. I mean, what would you do if you honestly believe that God called you to go to Afghanistan to find some pocket of ISIS or Al-Qaeda and preach to their faces about Jesus? And you know exactly what they do to Americans and you know exactly what they do to Jesus' followers. Think what it would be like if God called a Jewish rabbi to get on the streets of Berlin in 1941 and preach against Hitler. How would that go over? And number two, Jonah understands that even if he risks his neck, even if he obeys God, how in the world is it going to work? And he's a heck preacher from Israel. He's going to the greatest city in the world to tell them that they're doing it all wrong. I mean, his chances of success are like zero. His chances of his head on a pole are nearly 100%. Besides, God's wrong. Nineveh's Israel's enemy. They deserve God's wrath, not his grace. The Assyrians are flat out evil. They deserve hell. They don't deserve a second chance. So what do you do when you don't understand what God asks or you don't agree with what God asks? Do you run? Well, we're like Jonah. And if you want to run away from God, you're going to come up with a boatload of good reasons. Choosing God's way sometimes is scary. Going where he wants us to go, doing what he wants us to do is scary sometimes. Sometimes doing life his way doesn't make sense. We don't understand the why. We don't agree with God. We think to ourselves, it's not right for me. Maybe it's right for them, but it's not right for me. Or sometimes we grow tired. And I kept on trying to do it your way, God, and it just didn't work. It's not making me happy. Maybe we're just tired of trying to do what some preacher calls the right thing. Because it's hard to keep swimming upstream and keep swimming upstream when everyone else is trying to drag you the other way. When you're thinking about the reasons that we really run away from God, it really boils down to this. We don't trust him. By that, we struggle to trust God. We run away from God because we don't trust him. Now, Randy and I are drawing some of the ideas from this series from a great little book by a guy named Tim Keller, great preacher up in New York. It's called The Prodigal Prophet. There's a picture of it there. We've got a few copies of that in our connections room if you want to grab one and follow along. And if we run out, we'll get some more. Tim Keller says that Jonah was mistrusting God in two ways. Here's way number one. He didn't trust God because he didn't understand the reasons for God's will. And when we don't understand the reasons, we don't think there are any. If I can't see the reason for what God is asking me to do, there must not be a good reason, we figure, as if we're as smart as God. And number two, Jonah doubted God's goodness, his wisdom, and his justice. God's not doing it right. I mean, I don't deserve the danger God is sending me into. They don't deserve the grace that God is offering them. God's wrong. God doesn't have my back like he should. He doesn't want my best like he ought to. 
So I can't trust God. I can't trust his goodness. I can't trust his wisdom. I can't trust his justice. So I'm going to do it my way. That's sin. Did you know that every, every single time that we sin, every single time we run away from God, we're telling God, I don't trust you. I don't trust you. I don't think you're smart enough. I don't think you're good enough. I don't think you're right enough for me to do it your way. We've all been there. God wants me to give that up? I mean, doesn't God want me to be happy? God doesn't want, well, God wants me to go where and do what? God's stupid or something? Or after God sits there blowing off my prayers and after he let that happen to my kid, after he let me crash and burn, you want me to play with him like he's all that in a bag of chips? God's either not smart enough to follow, he's not good enough to have my best at heart, he's not strong enough to protect me and mine, or he's not righteous enough to make things right, we tell ourselves. If there is a God, what's he thinking? Did you know? Did you know that all sin starts with a character assassination of God? Character assassination of God. At, at, at its root, sin is a refusal to trust God. And when you decide not to trust God, you start with a character assassination of God. Guys, sin is by and large our default. It takes a decision, a choice, choosing trust to do other than sin. Does God know what's best for me or do I know what's best for me? It's my life. Our default is to trust me, not him. And to justify that, we have to assassinate his character. God's not good enough. God's not smart enough. God's not strong enough. Sometimes we reason. His goal must not always be my best, we reason. I don't see the reason that he wants me to do this or that. And if I don't see the reason, there must not be a good one, we reason. Such foolishness. But guys, it's always been that way. It's been that way from the very beginning, since the Garden of Eden. God says, I want you guys to be able to eat from every single tree in the garden, every one, except just that one. If you eat from that tree, you're going to die. And Satan comes along and says, really, really? Come on, guys, God's holding out on you. God doesn't want your best. You're not going to die. In fact, if you eat that fruit, your life's going to be way better. And so they look at the tree, and the fruit looks good, and it promises to make their life so much better. So they assassinate the character of God. God must be holding out on us. God doesn't want us to be happy. God must not be all that good. God must be blowing air. We're not going to die. In other words, God is not good enough, he's not smart enough, he's not strong enough for me to do what he wants me to do. Now this is interesting, this is huge, listen. Adam and Eve aren't sitting there thinking like, let's ruin our lives, right? Let's do this and be bad and let's mess up our lives and let's mess up the lives of everybody else who follows us, right? That's not what's on their heads, Almost never, not absolutely never, but almost never when we sin, never when we lie, twist the truth, cheat, manipulate someone, exploit someone, break a promise, refuse to forgive, blow God off. We don't do that stuff because we say, I just choose to be bad. I choose to be evil. 
We always convince ourselves that we're smarter than God. He can't be trusted. He's not good enough, smart enough, strong enough to tell me what to do. Sin at its root is a refusal to trust in God. So, sin begins by assassinating the character of God. We have to pull him down and lift ourselves up. We start trusting God too little, and we start trusting ourselves way too much. Stupidly. And how long does it take for us to learn that lesson? My grandson, Stephen, is almost 13, and sometimes we assign him the task of wrangling Caden and Aubrey. They're three. Caden and Aubrey always know what's best for Caden and Aubrey, right? And Stephen's job is to protect them from being too stupid, which happens a lot, right? One of these days, Stephen's going to be 20, be on his own, and he's going to look back and he's going to reflect and say, sometimes when I was 12 or 13, I was kind of stupid. We do that as we get older, right? We look back and say, huh, I wasn't as smart as I thought I was. We all have it pretty much figured out at 20, right? And you guys who are parents of 20-somethings, you kind of look back at your 20-somethings who think they know so much, and you're kind of like, well, I guess I wasn't too smart at 20 either, right? But now I know better. Now I know how things work. And then some of you guys are really old, like me, right? And you're kind of like, I wish I knew at 40 what I know now at 65. And right now I pretty much do have it figured out. And if my kids would only listen to me, and if my grandkids would only listen to me, their life would be way better, right? We still don't get it. I don't care how old you are, how smart you are. God is older and God is smarter. Do you buy that? You will never get to a time on earth where you see everything that he sees and know everything that he knows. You will never get to a time here on earth where your way will be better than God's way. You'll never be good enough. You'll never be strong enough here on earth where you can say, listen to me, not him. Bottom line, guys, here it is. We run away from God because we trust ourselves more than we trust him, which is stupid. So, will you trust him? You see, we run away from God whenever we know what he wants and we choose what we want instead, whether it's out of pride or we're scared or it's hurt our feelings because of our shame, because we're tired of missing out. Bottom line, we don't trust him. So we assassinate his character, we impugn his character, and we run away. Running away never, ever, ever works out the way that we think it will. We're going to give a whole lot more attention to that part next week. So I ask you the question. Do you trust him? Do you trust God? Or maybe the better question is this. I care who you are, how old you are. Will you trust him? And I think most of us who are Jesus followers in the room would answer pretty quickly, yeah, of course I do. And I think most of us kind of do trust him. 
But here's the deal. Sometimes we're better at trusting him with our eternity than we are at trusting him with our present. Right? We don't always trust God with our cancer. Sometimes we don't understand the why as if somehow it's God's fault. And we're so afraid of the pain and so afraid of the dying that it's hard to trust him. Sometimes we don't trust him with our finances. We don't trust him enough to break the back of our greed. We don't trust him enough to respond when he nudges us to be faithful or even to be generous. We don't trust God with our love life, whether it's staying faithful to your spouse when your heart is drawn to another, whether it's reserving sex for the marriage bed, whether it's choosing a Jesus-following partner, which is what he wants from a Jesus-follower. We don't trust that his way is the best for us and also for all those others that we want to drag behind us to heaven. We don't always trust him with his truth, so when someone challenges this truth, we get skittish and back down. We don't trust him for his grace for us. We don't trust him with his grace on those we despise. So, will you trust him? That's the question. Not just today here in this room. Are you going to trust him tomorrow? Outside these walls? Are you going to trust him on Tuesday? Are you going to trust him with your kids? going to trust him with your career? Enough that you're willing to be a God-honoring person on the job, whatever the cost? You're going to trust him with your retirement? Enough that you refuse to make either your money or your comfort your pseudo-God? You're going to trust him with your soul? Here's the deal, guys. Here's the truth. Listen. You can't actually love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength if you don't trust him. That's what it means. Will you love God with your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength? And will you accept the fact that that will make your life way, way better for now and for forever? Here's the deal, guys. Sometimes we, we come to church and we listen to something from the scriptures and we think, well, that's probably true. Sometimes you actually feel God nudging on you. There's something you need to do. You're convicted about something. Either encouraged, convicted, nudged. And sometimes you feel that nudge and say, I've had a religious experience and you walk out the door and you do nothing different. You're just the same as when you came in. Did you know that the more you do that, the more you inoculate yourself against the nudges of God? When God nudges you, it is never wise to push back. He can be trusted. If he nudges you, respond. It's always going to be for your best, for now and for forever. Do you believe that? Do you trust God as that good, that smart? you believe that he's got your back no matter what? Do you believe that he's that righteous, that just? Some of you guys may have felt God's nudge here this morning. I'm hoping that if you're not a Jesus follower that you have felt his nudge to start doing life with him. That's when your life really starts. I'm hoping that some of the rest of us who do life with God, we're struggling to give some part of our life over to him that we felt his nudge.
When he nudges, don't push back. If you don't mind, just really seriously, bow your heads and close your eyes. Be honest with God. Might as well. He knows what you're thinking anyway. If you're not a Jesus follower, have you felt his nudge to make Jesus the Lord and Savior of your life? Guys, don't push back. Please don't push back. We're going to give you an opportunity at the end of the service, going to hang around down the front here. I just want to talk with you or go to our prayer room or there's a decision card in front of you, the blue decision card. Write your name and your contact information. Give it to one of our guys with the red tag and we'll contact you. Maybe you just need some prayer and you felt God's nudge this morning. If you feel his nudge, don't push back. Don't ever push back on God, guys. It's just not smart. Maybe you just need a church family and you've just been drifting and you need a church family. Again, come talk to one of us. I'm going to hang around down front here and if you've got a decision to make, guys, don't leave this place without saying yes to God. Would you pray, please? Father, we believe that as our creator, as our Amazingly good creators, you've demonstrated in Christ that you're worthy of our trust. Whenever we push back on you, we're always settling for less than your best. Help us to be willing to do life with you for your, you your way to discover the life you meant us to live. We love you so dearly. In the name of Christ we pray, amen. Why don't you stand as we sing?